This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. The Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I'm joined by Nick Horwat on this lovely Monday, December 13th. Is it even Christmas, Horwat? I don't know if it's snowing up where you're at, but uh, it is uh, certainly not snowing down here in Virginia. We have a very, very busy show for you guys today. Obviously, the Pens... Currently riding a four-game win streak, especially considering the fact that they won two over the weekend back-to-back against two of the top ten teams in the National Hockey League. So we'll talk about those games. We will preview the Pens' upcoming matchup, the final matchup between them and the Montreal Canadiens. So we'll talk a little Blue Blanc et Rouge in this episode. We're going to look back because yesterday was actually the six-year anniversary for a certain Pittsburgh Penguin. We're going to look back at their tenure up to this point. We're also going to talk about the Penguins' third D-pairing and obviously wrap it up with the Pens' poll, but that's what you have to expect the rest of this episode. Let's start it off with the Penguins. Great weekend. Currently riding a four-game winning streak. This weekend started on Friday night. National audience, for anybody that knows what Hulu is, the Penguins win in Washington, getting their revenge with a 4-2 victory over the Washington Capitals. Horwat, this game... We talked about it on Thursday. We said this is a measuring stick game for this team right now. They went out and they impressed for, I would say, 40 out of the 60 minutes. What 20 minutes didn't you like? Because I thought it was all perfectly okay. I mean, we got up early. I was able to see it. That was also fun, finally. A game on ESPN+. Plus. But, uh, you know, I thought we got up early. I thought we were playing well against a very good team that, you know, only leads the division. Yeah. So... Uh, not only that, only leads the division, but there's still an Alex Ovechkin that's not to be messed around with. Um, Samsonov and Net, I mean, he's good. I don't know how their goalie situation looks otherwise. Mm. I think when you put your put all your eggs in a young basket, um, things can be iffy. But he's not a bad goalie, clearly, as that team is winning. He's the starter, right? Main one? Yeah, he is definitely the main starter this season with Vanacek backing him up. Cool. So, yeah, it's when you put all your uh, eggs in a young basket, things are bound to – you don't want them to break down, but, I mean, we're able to fight them off. Like I said, I mean, you we looked good. Which 20 didn't you like about that game? I don't know if it was a full 20. Obviously, the first 40 minutes of the game, first and second period, I thought the Pittsburgh Penguins played some of the best hockey that I've seen them play all season, which is great because there have been spurts where the Penguins have played some fantastic hockey. The last 20 minutes, and I don't even think it's the whole 20 minutes, but I just didn't like the way they handled the third period. Going into that period up 3 to nothing. obviously, uh, early in the game, first period, you have a nice goal by Danton Heinen, a good play between him and John Marino. Gets Heinen's, I believe, eighth goal of the season, which surpasses his, his total from last year with Anaheim, which was only seven. Brock McGinn gets like a lucky bounce off of Evgeny Kuznetsov, but still shoot the puck on the net, and that's what happens. They go up 2 to nothing. And then it was nice to see Kasperi Kapanen score. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Kapanen getting a breakthrough goal on a nice assist for Sidney Crosby. You're up 3 to nothing going into that third. I understand it's hard to play the style the Penguins like to play for 60 full minutes. It's almost similar to the New York Islanders. But I just didn't like some of the things they did in the third period that allowed Washington to not just get back in it on the scoreboard, but their fans got back into it. And you could see that they started to dominate, not just take control of, but dominate the pace of play in the third. I wish the Penguins would have kept their foot on the pedal a little bit more. No, you're totally right. It was just, it, we had to know going into that period, though, it was a different mentality for the for the Capitals because what McGinn had a borderline hit on Faravari mm-hmm. and the main guy that would be out there to protect and retaliate on something like that also wasn't out there. Yeah. Um. For anyone talking, I'm talking about public enemy number one or number two, depending what sport you like the most, uh, Tom Wilson. Um, it's Without him on the ice, the Capitals came in knowing they couldn't try and deal with it with their or his fists or 
body checking. They kind of had to let their actual scoring do the talking, and that's exactly what happened. They let their scoring do the talking. If Kenny Kuznetsov had a clean break, you can't let that happen because, I mean, as a Penguins fan, there's so many unlikable characters on this team. He's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then Alexander Ovechkin, who, you know, I, I watched the game with the Star Watch because I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, pissed off the entire game. Rightfully so. and they, But again, he came in, he got two assists, so you kind of had to, for the Capitals, they had to play that game with their skill and not their brute force because, you know, not the Vera, Ferravari, I'm, not, I'm never going to say that name right. <laughs> not that he is a brute force kind of guy, but he is the one that took the hit and was out. And I don't know exactly what happened with Tom Wilson. I'm guessing it was that crash into the net that mm-hmm. took him out for the rest of the game. Um, so they had to take their skill uh, and put that as top priority, which they have. Mm-hmm. They just had to actually utilize it. Yeah, the big thing with that game too, especially. I mean, I never, I didn't notice that Martin Ferravari is a top pairing defenseman for them. He plays with John Carlson, so I mean that it's nice to see that he was back in the game. Uh, not that game, but he was back on Saturday against the Sabers. He actually scored a huge goal for them, so it's nice to see that he doesn't have any lingering issues. But no, you're right. I mean, the entire time, Penguins Capitals, the last at least half decade, for the Penguins, it's been, okay, is the Penguins' speed and skill going to outdo the the Capitals' brute force and strength? And not to say the Capitals don't have skill, because as you mentioned, you know, Kuzi, Ovi, Oshi, all those guys, extremely skilled players. But the Penguins, just their forecheck, their backcheck, everything was working for them for the majority of this game. You expected the Capitals to come out and have a little bit of life in the third. It was a huge game, huge night at their home arena that you knew they were going to have a response. And they took advantage of of one bad play by Letang. He pinched and stayed back a little too long, and that's what opened up Kuznetsov in the front of the net for what was a, a very nice goal. And then... The only other thing that bothered me, and again, it's nitpicking. When you when you win a game in Washington, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be a perfect 60 minutes, so we can get that out of our minds right now. But nitpicking a little bit, I was a little upset with Sidney Crosby when he took that shot at the empty net, when he only needed to take two more strides and had the space to get to the center ice dot. Because if he got, would have gotten to center ice, it wouldn't have been icing, and then you wouldn't have seen the 3-2 to two goal by Lars Eller that was directly correlated to the icing for Crosby. I thought that was a little bit lazy, but again... That's nitpicking. That's very much nitpicking in a game where the majority of it was controlled by the Pittsburgh Penguins over a very, very good Washington Capitals team. Yeah, that's a minor nitpick. Yeah, you don't want to see that third goal or that second goal, but mm-hmm. um, things like that happen. We've seen Sid take that shot a thousand times before as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time, it just ha- it just so happens to lead to a goal against. I mean, you can't totally place blame on him, but I see where you're coming from with that at least. Yeah, uh, Tristan Jari looked stellar once again. Gave up two goals this time, but still looked extremely good. Kept the Penguins in the lead early on and just was strong for the first two periods. And then the third period, you look at the goals, not all his fault. Like, obviously, you can always probably make a save or be better on your angle, but I thought Tristan Jari looked phenomenal again after a very, very long break in between those two games. And Realistically, he got another three-day break before his next game. So a lot of rest here for Tristan Jari, which is needed after the start that he had to the season where he was starting basically every single game. Yeah, no, he, he's needed the rest, and that's exactly what we need out of our backup as well is something is Casey Smith to perform well so we can have faith in resting Jari every now and again because we've watched Toronto do this a thousand times. We can't play our starting goalie 60 games a year anymore. Mm-hmm. or 65 and 70, whatever the number may be. <clears throat> this isn't that league anymore. Yeah. We can't, you can't run your goalie into the ground. They're, they're going to need their rest. You know, 50, 55 games a year is fine. Maybe 60. It just depends on the goalie and their, mm-hmm. um, and their stamina. And I'm also just not good at math. So, <laughs> but still you want to make sure your goalie is rested enough and you want to have some faith in your backup to be able to do that. And whenever Tristan Jari is in so far, he's been stellar, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of hiccups every now and again, but every goalie's going to have that. Yeah. He is able to now get his rest and be confident in it. Mm-hmm. It's good to see. And every time he's in, it's a very good game. We're assuming he goes what again on Tuesday and then two days off again on Friday. 
I would I would imagine. I mean, you've gotten Casey DeSmith last week, and we'll get to him when we talk about the Ducks game. But he, he played two of the three games last week, and there was a lot of rest in between. So you would think that was a nice little break for, for Tristan Jari, but you don't want to keep him on the bench too long because he is still the hot hand in net for the Penguins. Yeah. Yeah, he is, and that's what you have to do. He's The, the all-star fan vote is back out there, and he should be <laughs> a contender for the Penguins this year. I mean, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Gensel's hurt. We don't know. I mean, sure, he might be back by February. <laughs> but... I mean, with Gensel being hurt, that all that all the time, all the time, that'll hurt a fan vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sid's just getting off of injury, and I don't think he's played the best to the best of his ability so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do we have? Evan Rodriguez, a sleeper pick? Because why the hell not? <laughs> I would say uh, probably Crystal Tang. Tanger's in there. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, for what it's worth, Tristan Jari may have a shot to go to another one, and also. Yeah, they're going to go to the All-Star game because they sure as hell might not go to Beijing anymore. Yeah, we'll see what that happens with that. I don't know. So, a five-week quarantine doesn't sound worth it, whatever the week number is. Yeah, who, who knows? That's obviously a fluid situation. Yeah. The NHL has now less than a month. January Woo! 10th is the drop-dead deadline. I mean, without financial consequence, which is basically why we're saying that's a drop-dead deadline. Yeah. But uh, one player that's not going to go to the All-Star game, there's no way that he's going to be named an All-Star because of his start, is Kasperi Kapanen. He does get on the board on on Friday, and this is the last thing I want to basically discuss about this game is he breaks through in his first game on the first line with Sidney Crosby. He looked good. He looked good up there. Do you like him up there? I mean, everything obviously is fluid. Whenever we get players back, obviously we have two notoriously Crosby wingers on the (laughs) shelf right now. So what do you think of Kasperi Kapanen's game, and do you think this is what he needed to break through and kind of get get his footing underneath him? I don't know if it's what he needed, but he just looked good. I mean, you it has to sustain. I mean, did it also look good against Anaheim the next night? That's the real question. I mean, yeah, you can look good at, with Crosby for a game. And mm-hmm. he did. He looked great. Um, obviously, he scored. He made a couple of really good plays. He looked like he had a couple of really good chances as well. Mm-hmm. And But anyone can pop off for a game like that. We saw him do that against Minnesota. He popped yeah. off for a game, and then what happened? Nothing. Yeah. It's about, for him specifically, it is about sustaining that ability. Mm-hmm. If you're playing with Crosby, you know, you're, you're going to pop off like that. You're going to have a great game. Continue it. And that's yeah. what I'm going to ask you. How did it look on uh, Saturday? Because I kind of watched the game and Shameless at the same time. So, <laughs> You know, Saturday, it, it looked like the Penguins were playing pretty well. And, and we'll yeah. shift to that in a minute. But it, it seemed like, obviously, nobody was really scoring goals for the Pittsburgh Penguins, unless your name is Brock McGinn. But the Penguins, again, <laughs> played the game that they needed to play to beat the Anaheim Ducks. Um, but like I said, we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. I did remember one other thing. Obviously, Penguins finished that road trip 3-1-1, one, one, just like you predicted. Yep. Uh, Penguins now 8-3-3 three, three on the road, which is absolutely phenomenal if you're this team and the injuries you've faced. Being that good away from home is nice. They're only 6-5-2 and two at home. That includes the, the Saturday win against the Ducks, so you got to fix that. But the Penguins are notoriously great at PPG Paints Arena, so you have to think there's going to be a progression to the mean and then playing a little bit better in front of the home fans. But the last thing I did want to mention, ESPN always has the hard-hitting facts, right? Emily Kaplan dropped one of the biggest, you know, basketball has the Woj bombs. This was a cat bomb. She drops that in his water bottle during games. Oh, goodness. Alex Ovechkin drinks Pepsi on the bench, and then Dr. Pepper during intermission. What a mutant. What a freaking mutant. This guy has over seven. He has not over, but he has 750 goals in the National Hockey League. And he's drinking soda. I don't care if you call it pop, soda, fizzy, whatever. He's drinking soda out there on the bench. First of all, I, I think it's the, the strangest part of that is that he changes it during intermission. Yeah, that too. That's just inconsistent. Come on now. For someone who is as consistent of a goal scorer as he is, you'd think there'd be some consistency there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, maybe that's why he was graying at, like, 28, 27. <laughs> it would make what sense. the hell? <laughs> Sugar overload. Also makes sense as to how much energy he had all the time. He has so much energy he's because he's on freaking sugar high. I don't know about that. I mean, yes, but, like... Well, no, it's not It's not 100% contributed to that. I'm being a little Well, I was going to say, because, but... like... Soda is usually slow me down. Also, I'm from Pittsburgh, and I say soda. Sue me. Um, like, 
Pepsi's and Dr. Pepper's usually, like, slow me down. They don't hop me up like that. I, I mean, yeah, I get it. Like, sometimes it does that. It has that effect on other people. But they slow me the hell down. I'd die if I did that for a game. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, hell, I can't. I can barely drink Gatorade whenever I exercise or play hockey just because the sugar, like, messes with my mouth and makes it hard for me to breathe. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't imagine a damn <laughs> brown drink in there like yeah some fizzy like what are you that's a mutant shit like yeah no he is not human he is not human and the fact is like he also added what i think two assists on friday yeah he did. The, the guy is just he and he's playing the best he's ever played he's what 38 years old now and he's just an absolute mutant drinking how? soda over there in his specific spot i don't know how i've gone this long and have not noticed that he also only sits in one spot on the bench Oh, and also not even that, but uh, like like I mentioned, the Star Watch. I watch. I watched the Star Watch. It makes sense that he's able to do that because he doesn't do a ton of skating. Most of the Star Watch on him is him kind of gliding and then finding his spot on the ice. Mm-hmm. There's not. I mean, Penguins fans have known this forever. There's not a whole lot of urgency in his game if you just watch him. Yeah, his urgency comes when there's a saucer pass coming to him. There isn't a lot of. I mean, yeah, there's back checking nowadays, but earlier there was not a lot of back checking, and you can just kind of see it still today that it's a lot of coasting around. But I mean, 750 goals speaks for itself. We can't say this is a bad thing. Yeah, it's but worked. it's just one thing I noticed. Yeah, and just I, I also don't know how he made it 15 years without knowing that the soda thing. Uh, I think it's because ESPN hasn't had the rights. So we haven't had that hard hitting reporting from Emily Kaplan. I mean, great a stuff there. I made that made my night on Friday. I was like, how, how does this man made it this long in the NHL? And he's drinking freaking soda. Like, I'm sure he didn't do it as, as like a rookie. Cause he didn't have the clout to be able to be like, yeah, put some Pepsi in that. Like now though, first I'm sure he's had it for the past. Though. Like, yeah, but still like, you could be the first overall pick. I'm sure Alexi Lafreniere, if he's like, yeah, put some Pepsi in that. And the Rangers are going to look at it and be like, no, Score some goals, child. Like, let's go. Well, he has He's kind of sucked so far in his career, so. I mean, to, the, to each their own. We still haven't played the New York Rangers yet, and we being the Pittsburgh Penguins, so we'll have to discuss that whenever they come up on the schedule at some point. But uh, moving on to Saturday really quickly, because we've taken a lot of time talking about Penn's caps, as we should have expected. Penguins get a one to nothing win on Saturday. They de- debut their new third jerseys. Horwat, how did you think they looked on the ice? I thought they looked really good. Oh, yeah. It's... Obviously, they're already they're like mostly sold out already, are they not? They are basically, yeah. Yeah, I they look really good. I'm proud of myself for not like dying to get one. I, I am dying to get one, but luckily yeah. I don't have the money to get one. Yeah, I'm not like dying to get one right away. It helps that I have the uh, the original, not the original, but like um, the older version. Have the '90s version already. Mm-hmm. It's blank, but it helps that I have that. Mm-hmm. So it just looks really good, though. It, it looks stellar. It sucks we couldn't score more than one goal on it, but it's awesome seeing Casey DeSmith, you know, make some saves and mm-hmm. look really good. I don't I, like I said, I watched this game with Shameless on in the background because Megan and I because Megan still needs to catch up and then we can watch the last season for what it's worth. We crushed damn near an entire season on Sunday or Saturday. On Saturday, whenever I couldn't go into work because she was in close contact and we didn't know all the information yet. Yeah. Um, so there's a peek into my life. You're welcome. <laughs> but, um, from what I saw in the game, it looked fairly good. Oh yeah. I mean, one nothing, but got it. We got to win. I you, can't win yeah, you, that, you can't win uh, every game by scoring four or five goals. Yeah. We got to win where, with a backup goalie who needed to really kick the shine. He did it in a big way that time. And... The Ducks are, I think I said this last episode, the Ducks are a team that's, they got young and fast all of a sudden, young and skilled. Mm -hmm. They're not the same team that they were last time we saw them. Yeah. Trevor Zegers, he didn't try the Michigan flip goal like they did against the the, uh, Buffalo Sabres, but he did do a spinorama behind the net, passing it to Sonny Milano. Luckily, Casey DeSmith was all over that, as he was all night long, gets his first shutout of the season, his seventh of his career, making 33 saves. So now DeSmith, after we had had these conversations, do the Pittsburgh Penguins need another backup goaltender? Is it time for Louis Domingue? Since then, Casey DeSmith, 2-0-0 in his last two starts, one goal allowed and a 984 save percentage. So some of the people that said maybe you need to give him more of a sh- chance, okay? They're, they're, you're, you're correct, a little bit more of a chance. Two, games in the, uh, two out of three games last week, and now Casey DeSmith looking pretty good. We'll have to see how that continues. Obviously, you know, highs and lows of an NHL goaltender. 
we both said the same thing where we said, listen, he's probably going to start one or two more games before Christmas. He needs to get at least one quality start for us to say, yeah, just let him in there. And he got two now. So yeah, Casey DeSmith, we'll have to obviously keep track of him. Two games does not make a man. But uh, he's definitely trending in the right direction, which is nice to see if you're the Penguins, because before that, it was all Tristan Jari. It was all Tristan Jari making, playing the most out of any other player in the National Hockey League. So the only other thing in that game was Brock McGinn scored the early goal five minutes in. He then had he now has goals in back and back-to-back games after obviously scoring off of Kuznetsov's leg on Friday night. So nice to see McGinn get on the scoreboard. He has seven on the season. It looks like the two additions in Brock McGinn and Danton Heinen are still paying dividends for Ron Hextall's club. Yeah, and that McGinn goal, it was a... I mean, it helped that I think half the Ducks gave up on the play because they thought it was offside, and it was damn close. Oh, yeah. But, hey, a goal is a goal. You got to keep in the play. And also, for what it is worth, Anthony Stolar stopped 13 in the last period. Yeah, it was weird seeing John Gibson pulled. I hope for the best there. Yeah. Do we know exactly what happened? Because they played like the next day, didn't they? Didn't they? <laughs> they did. They won three to two on Sunday. I did not see who started. I haven't uh, caught up with all the NHL highlights yet this morning. Anthony but, uh, Solar started. Okay. Yeah. So Stoli the goalie. We'll see obviously what happens there with Pittsburgh native John Gibson. But Stoli the goalie played well for the for the Ducks. And realistically, Gibson did too. Only giving up one goal to the Penguins, who are a team that right now, hard to keep the puck out of the net when the penguins are on the ice unless your name's the calgary flames oh wow they won in an overtime with a penalty shot interesting i I, like i said i definitely need to watch the highlights now because i have not seen anything this morning uh before we cut the break really quickly let's preview penguins versus canadians uh that's coming up on tuesday yeah third time this season this is the final matchup between these two teams this season the penguins have currently now won four straight the last time they were on a winning streak of three-plus games, it was ended by the Habs in a 6-3 to loss in November at PPG Paints Arena right before this road trip started that just ended on Friday. So that was a couple weeks ago. Jake Allen made 47 saves on 50 shots. Overall, the Penguins absolutely dominated the Canadians in that game on the ice. Anybody that actually watched it. Montreal then also scored three empty netters. So it was a game where the scoreboard did not tell the whole story. The Penguins in both games have just dominated the Canadiens on the ice. And the first matchup, obviously, was a 6 to nothing win in Montreal for Pittsburgh. So coming up on Tuesday, Penguins have now won four straight. You could run into a hot goalie in Jake Allen again. But realistically, I expect the Penguins to wipe the floor with the Habs once again. Yeah, I like that idea. No, I, I don't want to be overconfident, but like it, nothing has changed to where I think the Habs are going to be able to skate with the Penguins when it's been so lopsided the first two games. Eventually, you'd have to break through. Even if it's Jake Allen again, and even if he's playing a great uh, great game, eventually you have to break through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good mentality to go with there. Just play the same same way you did the last time you played Montreal. Montreal um, and just hopefully a few go in get the right bounces i think that was the big issue last time the bounces mm-hmm. just weren't going our way and we were getting goalied yeah that can't happen again can it i don't know it did with markstrom but markstrom's just another animal and at least the flames are a good team behind like in front of them yeah that's another part of it there too yeah although yeah new general manager in montreal did they get a new coach too no that's still dominic ducharme oh all right not much to worry about there, then. <laughs> the Habs, I mean, they're in a bit of dismay already. I mean, I went on to the Habs Nightly Podcast with Bayou Benders over the weekend, and, you know, he's he's putting off the vibe that, you know, this might be a lost season for them. Obviously, a I bad mean, start. Everything that happened in the offseason, you lose your general manager now. I mean, you fire your general manager now. And you just haven't been able to put together. You're at this point of the season, and they're in a tough division and so, a tough conference. Yeah, for what it's worth... The last two seasons for the Canadians haven't, regular seasons, have not been phenomenal. No. I mean, the year they beat us in the first, in the, what play-ins. round was that called? In the play-in round, they shouldn't have made the playoffs that year, technically. Yeah. Last season, weird divisional lineups. They squeeze in as the four seed, right? Yeah, the Sens almost caught up to them. Yeah. They squeeze in as a four seed, but if it was, you know, normal divisions, all that, they're not making it again. 
So in reality, it, they're a team that shouldn't have made the playoffs two years in a row, but did. And the fact that they made it last year was enough for them to go to the damn cup final. Yeah. I, yeah, that's yeah on paper and during the regular season that doesn't look like a great, a great, great season. You made it to the cup final though, and you had some fun doing it. You take it as a moral victory, I guess. You played with house money that entire playoffs. Yeah. And almost cashed all the way in. It's, and now it's in now now they look normal again. Really, this is mm-hmm. the way they should have looked. What, last two postseasons? Yeah, and you talk about the play-ins. They were the 24th best team in the NHL. Yeah. And, I mean, that's on the Penguins. You lost to them in the first round. The Sabres almost got in that year. Yeah, the Sabres, if the Sabres would have, was the Sabres? No, it wasn't the Sabres. The Sabres were bad. The Devils almost got in. If the Penguins would have lost to the Devils in the last game before the COVID shutdown, the Devils would have been in instead of the Montreal Canadiens. But even this season... I mean, obviously, you lose your captain in Shea Weber. He might never come back. I mean, we still don't know what's going on with that situation. Carey Price has yet to play a game. The good news for them is Carey Price is progressing back, and it's similar to where the Penguins are with Evgeny Malkin. There's not really a timetable, but he's there. You see him. He's progressing. You see the steps going forward. You just still don't know how much longer it's going to be. So maybe you get him back at the new year. But at that point, it might still be too late for the Montreal Canadiens. We'll see what happens. Either way, the Penguins won't have to worry about it at that point. This is the last game between them, as we mentioned. I fully expect the Penguins to come out here, and at least on the ice. I mean, they might lose the game. I don't know. I would think they're going to win the game. I would think they're going to whitewash the uh, the Canadiens up and down the ice. I think they're going to just absolutely trounce them. It's just a feeling, the feeling that I have, and I hope I'm correct. But... If, if they do, the Penguins are currently closing in on the top three in the division. I mean, they're, at, that, at one point this season, it seemed like, you know, there's going to be a difference there. And there still is a little bit of a gap. It's a six-point gap between the Penguins and both teams that are tied for second in Carolina and the Rangers. But they're closing in on that gap slowly. And at this point of the season, that's all you can hope for. Try to get close to them and stay around in that spot. They're only seven back of first place in Washington with a game in hand on the Capitals. So... The Penguins are making it interesting here and making an interesting run in December. Yeah, and we haven't even played the Rangers and... Or the Hurricanes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, there's there's a, that's a lot of a point swing right there. We haven't played those guys yet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, we're going to take a quick break here. We expect... You know what? Actually, before the break, I do want to ask one quick thing. Score expectations for Tuesday. Let, let's do a score... What am I thinking? Prediction for Tuesday. And I'll go first so you can think about it. I think the Penguins win this game by a score of five to one. Five to one? Five to one. I'm not I'm so not good at predicting things, but Yeah, just throw them out. I predicted four to two cap or penguins over caps on Friday. I was so that's like the first time I've ever gotten a score prediction right. That's impressive. All right. Just throw <laughs> numbers out. You said five one? I said five one penguins on Tuesday. Uh, I'll price is right. You wanna go four one. Oh my goodness, I hate that. We're going to go to break because I'm I'm aggravated with this whole daytime television horwat. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a Pittsburgh Penguin hitting their six-year anniversary with the club and our thoughts on the third D pairing. We'll be right back. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on all the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets if they score. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. 
The Pittsburgh Penguins are currently riding a four-game win streak. All is good in the world of Pittsburgh Penguins fandom. Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Pirates, that's a different story. Eh, isn't it always? We don't get paid to talk about that, though. So let's talk about uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And a certain member of the organization had their six-year anniversary on Sunday. Six-year anniversary with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the National Hockey League Club. Mike Sullivan was hired, or brought up, I should say, as the interim head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins six years ago from December 12th. Since then, behind the Penguins bench for 452 regular season games, with a record of 265, 139, and 48, which is a 639 points percentage. Pretty dang good. Just recently passed Dan Bilesma for most wins as Penguins head coach, so now franchise leader in that. He trails Eddie Johnston, who has 516 games played, or not games played, but games coached for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he's in second, only behind Eddie Johnston. We expect him to probably pass that. Uh, Let's see, where's he at? Probably next season. And honestly, if you look at the playoffs, it's pretty impressive as well. Obviously, the Penguins have made it to the playoffs every year with him under the, under their, his tutelage. Finished no lower than third in the division every single year. In the playoffs, you look at his record, 41-34. and 34, Second in Penguins history in postseason wins behind Dan, Dan Bilesma. And he has a series record of 9-4, and four, a two-time Stanley Cup winning head coach, only Penguins coach to ever win two cups. What are you thinking about Mike Sullivan six years later, Horwat? That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. At the time of Sullivan coming in, it was talk of Crosby being a coach killer or, mm-hmm. you know, being impossible to coach. I mean, for what it's worth, none of, only one of Crosby's coaches has ever missed the playoffs. That's Eddie O. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. And actually, to be fair, Eddie O wasn't even the coach that missed the playoffs that year. It was Michelle Tarian. At the set during the second half of that year, I just pulled this up to double check. No, he wasn't. The rookie, his rookie season, 0506, Eddie O, 817 and six, then replaced by Michelle Terrian, who went 1429 and eight. Oh, yep, I'm thinking of something completely different. Yeah, Michelle Terrian, sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, so for what it's worth, yeah, I'd say we've, I mean, Crosby's only had what Terrian, Bilesma. We don't talk about Mike Johnston, he had Eddie O. Eddie O for a moment. And then Mike Sullivan. He's only had five coaches. I don't know how... In the matter of 15 years, that's so. That's not so much a coach killer. Yeah. I mean, he's on, what, year 16 or 17 now at yeah. this point? Mike Johnston killed himself. I mean, no, that's a poor way of putting that. Wow. Mike Johnston just shot himself in the foot there. Plexico Burris instead that. Uh, he shot himself in the foot with this organization. He just did not know how to handle this roster, this lineup. So that's what happened there. But Mike Sullivan in these six years has been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, to turn the organization around quickly with the young players that he did, this doesn't even, the numbers don't tell the whole story. Cause you think about, you know, how many injuries has been sustained to top talent in that time. He's gone through three goaltenders in that time. So like three starting goaltenders in that time, not to mention backups that you, you know, the whole anti Niemi situation. So <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an impressive run for Mike Sullivan. And obviously, where we're sitting right now, his seat, you know, it's not even warm. His seat is cooled right now. Yeah. You gotta love after every kind of playoff you, loss. It's literally it's literally just playoff losses. Yeah, every mediocre playoff appearance, it's well, Mike Sullivan's seat is warm. No, 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 no. Listen, if Pittsburgh Sports has taught us anything, it's that we are not quick to change coaches. Yeah. Clint Hurdle stayed around far long after he should have. Maybe. I don't know. It's the Pirates. People have wanted Mike Tomlin gone since, what, 2012? I kind of looked back into it the other day. People have been trying to shelve him since 2012, and he's still here, whether it is whether it is past his due date or not. Yeah. And then there's Mike Sullivan, who, out of those three names that I just read off, has been the most successful. Nothing against Tomlin. Yes, he hasn't yeah. had a losing season. But he's won, what, five career playoff games? Something like that, yeah. I don't know the exact number, but, it's yeah. It might be six, but and only one championship. Two championships for Sullivan. Well, granted, yeah, in his first two years, he's never missed a playoff round, and now he's about to coach an Olympic team, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. A lot of that needs to be figured out and ironed out. Hopefully, Honestly, I don't, I don't think I want the players to go this year if there's going to be a five-week quarantine. 
I digress. Um, Mike Sullivan has been incredible for this organization, for this franchise, and for this team and its players. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's the winningest coach in team history, and is a soon, probably soon to be the winningest playoff coach in team history. Yeah, all he needs is two playoff wins. He's probably gonna get that. Boy, we hope so. All three playoff wins, so he doesn't even have to win a series. Hey, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's still you don't try even have to win that. a series. You just need three wins in the postseason, Sully. See, all right, we could have done this a long time. He could have passed that a long time ago, but you know, it's whatever. Um, yeah, we've been enjoying having him around, though. Mm-hmm. He's been a fun coach. He's been a real coach, and it just seems things just seem better under him. Yeah, the, the definitely the environment in the locker room, the way that the stars kind of react to him. It's a good relationship between the coach and the players in Pittsburgh, and that's something that you love to see, and that's something that has been very successful for the Pittsburgh Penguins, albeit some postseason collapses. That's bound to happen. I mean, we'll see what happens this year. Obviously, the way that they have played without Malkin all year long, without Russ for the majority of the year. They missed Crosby for a long time. Now Gensel's going to be out for a long time, and they're still starting to play their best hockey, especially with a team that a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't know how good they're going to be. He's sitting here, and the Penguins are one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League. Five-game win streak, three games lost, now a four-game win streak currently. So they're playing really good hockey. That begs the question, Horwat, is Mike Sullivan, at this point in time, the greatest coach in Pittsburgh Penguins history? Oh, yeah. I think he, he was is. going into the season. Really? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, he has the, the track record to prove it. I mean, it's hard to not, you know, look back at some of our coaches and not bring up what Dan Bilesman did. Phenomenal stuff. Just a very weird ending. Mm-hmm. And just very not, very stubborn in his own ways. You look at Bob Johnson, and that's just unfortunate. You yeah. know? Who knows what he could have done? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're having the discussion of Bob Johnson, four-time Stanley Cup championship coach. We, who knows? We, we don't know. And that's just unfortunate. And you want to put him up there for the sake of, you know, one year, one championship. Who knows what the future could have held for him. But again, it is, you, it's just hard to have that discussion. So you kind of take him off that list for that. Mike Sullivan, though, He's been around. He's won two cups. The only, it's kind of surprising, the only um, coach to win two cups in this organization. But unfortunate circumstances and just bad timing on Hilesma's part. Yeah. It happens. Um, look at, looking down at some of these other names, I mean, we haven't had too many consistent coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. whereas you mentioned Eddie Johnston, yeah. He's coached a lot, but that's in, like, multiple different tenures. Mm -hmm. So that's – there's a little bit of a, well, really, though? Yeah. So I think so. I think going into the season, he was one of – he was the greatest coach in Penguins history. Uh, It didn't take – it's not a high bar to cross when you really look at it deeply. Mm -hmm. But um, he's raising it, and that's for damn sure. Yeah. Longevity is a huge factor when grading these things. I mean, not that there's actually a grading scale, but longevity to be able to stay in an organization for as long as Mike Sullivan has. He's one of the longest tenured head coaches now in the National Hockey League. That is impressive in its own right. So a great run for for Sully. It does not seem like it's close to ending, especially the way this Penguins team is playing behind him. So we'll see, you know, what transpires here. This is the second general manager of his tenure, so and it seems like Hextall is firmly behind Sully behind the bench. So good on Mike Sullivan. Six years behind the Penguins bench, two Stanley Cups. Obviously, Pittsburgh hoping for a third one here coming up in the spring of 2022. Let's move on and talk about the Penguins' third pairing on defense. Because obviously coming into the season, that was a big question mark. Everybody knew, okay, Mike Matheson's probably going to be the guy but who are they going to put next to him? Because last year it worked out really well with Cody Cece. It did, but that got Cody Cece paid. That, that's the reason Cody Cece got such a huge contract to go and play for the Edmonton Oilers. So the question was, you know, Mark Friedman, Chad Ruedel, maybe a P.O. Joseph. Who's going to play next to Mike Matheson on third D pairing? And Chad Ruedel, a guy that has been the ultimate sixth or seventh defenseman, for the Pittsburgh Penguins for the past, I don't know, four years, five years. He just comes in and plays once every two months. He played really well in that role. This year, 
in training camp, he earns the the right to be the sixth defenseman and start and play every single night. And I wanted to check in on how those guys have played. Horwat, without me going into the stats, which I will in a minute, how do you evaluate them based on what you've seen thus far into the season? I feel like Chad Rue, it's just been the most consistent, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, I think it's his spot at this point just because he's got a little veteran aspect to it where you kind of give him the nudge over a guy like Friedman or Joseph who Joseph we enjoy watching play we enjoy having him in this organization but um, are the wheels really there yet is he fully ready for an NHL spot I think he proved to definitely have the capabilities last year Mm -hmm. it is then it is now just a matter of consistency which is hard to get when you're not the top guy in obviously yeah but I think growing his game in the minors with a bunch of guys that are going to be, you know, some options soon. You know, growing some chemistry down there with those guys isn't a bad idea. I think Friedman is just such a question mark anymore. Like, what are we really doing with him? Mm-hmm. I know he's a Hextall guy, but... And I know he's a ton of fun to play to play on the ice when, when we play Philly. Yeah. But... <laughs> I think, I just don't know if he's sustainable either, really. It's such a hard question to really pin down. And Yusuf Rico is still in this conversation sometimes. Is he? It's, is he, we're though? paying him. It's such a wild, <laughs> such a wild situation with him. Mm-hmm. But um, I just do think this last spot just goes to Ruedel. I mean, sure, he's not the points guy. He's not supposed to be. He's the sixth defenseman that could get replaced like that. Yeah. Um, but that's been his game. That has been his game, and he's you know played it fairly well. I mean, what's oh, he's already passed his game total from last season. He's played twenty three this year, seventeen last year, albeit a shortened season, but still, um, he's been the guy. He's been this exact role for a long time now, for six years, like you said, mm-hmm. and he's been perfect for this for this position in this situation. When I think of Mike Matheson, defensive partner. There's one non-measurable metric and characteristic that that person needs to have that I think Chad Ruiel has over top of guys like a Ricola or Friedman or a Joseph, and that's maturity. And not to say that those other players are immature, but they just don't have the reps at the NHL level that somebody needs to inherently have to be on the ice with Mike Matheson on a normal basis. Because... He does still, even though I think, and we'll get to it in a second, I think Mike Matheson has had a very, very good season. He has been very good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It might not seem like it because there are plenty other storylines like an Evan Rodriguez or like a Marcus Pedersen and John Marino pairing. That pairing is playing extremely well. We could go into them for 10 minutes alone. But Mike Matheson has been extremely good this year. But there's always that thought of, He might get a little jittery. He might get that itch to be offensive, and that might put you in a bad position. You need to have the maturity to stay home and be ready to cover up for that. And I think that's something that Chad Ruedel does much better than those other three guys, which is why you've seen him start to actually start in every single game on the defense for Mike Sullivan's team. Now, let me talk about the stats really quickly. Mike Matheson on the year, counting stats-wise, one goal, seven assists in 18 minutes and 28 seconds average time on ice that's a lot of time for a third pairing defenseman yeah especially one that doesn't play special teams he's not in the second unit he is not he does not he plays a little bit more power play minute time he's played 34 total minutes on the power play okay which is not a lot but it's more than nothing he's only played on 10 minutes of the penalty kill so he does not go out there on the kill no he shouldn't be (laughs) So, I mean, this guy is averaging almost 20 minutes a game, almost 19 minutes a game at 5-on-5. That shows you how much more confidence Mike Sullivan has in him coming into the season. And it's paid off because now you go into the analytical stats, 54.83 Corsi 4 percentage. We talk about 55 and up is usually above average to elite. He's at 54.83 right now. Again, who's his competition? That's that's something else you need to look into. He's a third-pairing defenseman. But he's doing well against the people he's deployed against. Expected goal share, 54%. That's good. You want that above 50%? That's where you want. And the high danger chances for, which is where he usually struggles because, you know, makes those stupid mistakes, makes those turnovers, which we have seen. But 
he's made a lot less of them, which is why his high danger chances for is at 58.11%. He's controlling the pace of play. He's controlling the opportunities when he's on the ice. And for a third pairing guy, that's something that we need to give a little bit more credence to because I don't think I've seen enough people give him credit for the play that he has had this season. I know it's going to be hard, the contract, everything like is. that. But if you stay off of if you stay off of cap friendly and you watch the way that he's played as a third pairing defenseman, he's good for this team. It's, it's funny that you said stay off of cap friendly because that's what I literally just pulled up. Um, <laughs> no, and I get it. He's played phenomenally as a third pairing defenseman. It's it is just so hard no matter what to watch him play as a third pairing and realize we're paying him Mm -hmm. as a top line guy yeah i think that's the issue there i mean he's making more than john marino whose new contract just kicked in he's making more than brian dumlin who's a first line uh defenseman it's just hard to overlook that it really is add on the modified no trade clause and the fact that it lasts until the cows come home Mm-hmm. those are just the hard parts of it and I can remember having this discussion with you a long time ago last season whenever Mike Matheson was playing great I said like yeah he's playing great but he's not playing at a 4.8 million dollar pace and I think he never will though exactly and I think you said you can't you know take the contract into this or you have to ignore the contract and you're right you do it's just hard sometimes when we're cap it is strapped to hell and back it's just it's a little difficult um, you're not. I, it's. It might be at the point where we're not gonna be able to find a trade partner because we're not using him. You know, not not that we're using him in the proper way to trade, but he's not getting the reps that would warrant a. Hey, here's a four point eight million dollar defenseman. Figure something out with him. Yeah, I don't think I would want to trade him right now. That's I, totally it, fair. It, sometimes it's very difficult to find a very sturdy third pairing. That's able to go up against good third lines on the other team because, you know, the better teams you play, you're going to have to go up against really good third lines. And you're going to need guys like Mike Matheson and Chad Ruedel, the way that they're currently playing, to be there to shut things down. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know, the, listen, the contract, the contract, the contract, it's always an issue. But I don't think I want to trade away a guy like Mike Matheson, especially when I have no idea if P.O. Joseph is ready to play. And, and do you, is he ready to play in a third line role? That's another right. thing. Right. It's also, yeah, it is hard to dump off Matheson whenever, all right, well, who are other options? Ricola? Well, the coaching staff doesn't want to put him in. Yeah. Friedman? Well, he's kind of inconsistent as hell and is only fun to watch whenever we play the Flyers. Yeah. Joseph? Is he really ready yet? Uh, after that, it's a bunch of minor leaguers, really. I mean, I, mm-hmm. we always seem to have this surplus of NHL capable and ready defensemen. But what use really are they? They're third pairing. Most of them are third pairing guys at best. For now. Yeah, for now. But I think the good thing is that you have a Matheson who honestly is playing at a second line level. I don't know what happens when you put him up there and you deploy him like that. But he's the minutes that he's logging right now, 18 minutes a game. It helps alleviate pressure at five on five for a guy like Chris Letang, who's playing every single second of a power play and every single second of a penalty kill. So the way that Matheson's playing and Ruweedle for that matter, they're able to go out there at five on five and give these other guys who play special teams a little bit of a rest and relaxation, which is probably what's helping the fact that the penalty kill is extremely phenomenal. It's continuing to be phenomenal, and it's not because of these guys. I mean, Ruweedle has played a little bit more than Matheson on the penalty kill. But he's played exactly zero minutes on the power play. He hasn't even stepped on with one second. Like, I'm sure he might have, but like zero minutes logged on the power play according to hockey reference. But uh, looking at Ruedel's stat line, counting stats, zero goals, two assists, 15.54 average time on ice. So he is obviously the lowest of the main six on time on ice. And only two penalty minutes for Chad Ruedel. That's what you get. Solid, consistent, smart hockey that he's able to go out there and compliment Mike Matheson. So I, I, I did want to, you know, I wanted to drop down and, and heap praise on the third pairing because I just don't think it gets done nearly enough. Uh, other stats, 54.69 Corsi 4, 57.12 expected goal share, and a 60.38 high danger chances for percentage. So these guys are playing extremely phenomenally. Uh, Chad Ruedel's Corsi 4 is currently at a career high, so he's playing the best that he has as well as playing the most that he has. So it's nice to see this pairing 
be something that Mike Sullivan doesn't have to worry about because there's so many other things with the injuries and COVID and everything that he's had to worry about. The third pairing has not been one of them. And that's rare for this team too. I'm trying to like remember some old third pairing guys. I mean, what, at one point Justin Schultz was our, on our third pair? Uh, Yeah, he was also a second pairing at points, but the, the one third pairing at one point was Justin Schultz and John, Jack Johnson. So. Woo! Oh yeah, yeah that, that third pair. Yeah, and you mentioned Mike Madsen playing at a second line pace. I mean, that's what he did with CeCe all of last season. Mm-hmm. So we know he can step in like that, and I think more or less that came at necessity because Marino and Pedersen not playing to their abilities, but yeah, they have both seemed to step up as well. So mm-hmm. all is right in this world, again, aside from that contract. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's where we're going to end that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to bring this home with our weekly Pens poll. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. Getting ahead of myself there. Pens poll this week. Which Pens player is most likely to be traded this season? You know, I basically did this as like a science experiment to get into the psychology of the Penguins fan brain because... All of last season, all of the offseason, who was the one name, besides Jason Zucker, who won this poll, who was the one name that was up there for trade speculation? Uh, Marcus Pedersen. It was Marcus Pedersen, and he came in last in this poll with only 13% of the vote. So uh, interesting to see that uh, Casey DeSmith with 28% of the vote, that was that was prior, most of those votes came in prior to even his game against Seattle, so fair enough. And Kasperi Kapanen was 17% or higher than Marcus Pedersen. Welcome to the what have you done for me recently league. Real, it is. I mean, it always has been though. The W H. I'm not doing all that. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna try to make that uh, <laughs> make that on the fly there. That's you're brave for trying to do that live on air. It, it was but, a uh, much longer acronym than I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, and but I do want the four to not be an F, but the number four. All right. Okay. Um. No, Jason Zucker makes a ton of sense on this too because that has been the discussion as of recently. Mm-hmm. Whereas Pedersen was the discussion last year whenever he wasn't playing phenomenally and also was making a ton of money for not playing phenomenally. Mm-hmm. And now here we are with Marcus Pedersen playing better, playing more to his contract, and we don't want to ship him off anymore. Yeah, And also because we, again, all of a sudden don't have the real names like we just discussed, the big names that can step up and take over. Mm-hmm. Casey to Smith because just dear God, what was he playing like before? Garbage. Yeah, you want to ship garbage off, especially when we have a uh, NHL capable backup in the system. Mm-hmm. Ship to Smith off for picks and pick up Deming because that just makes sense. And Kapanen again, that was just a fun one of, well, he's playing like trash this year, and we love shipping and we love uh, wanting to trade bad players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the Kapanen one. I feel like you might have swayed some people with your article about Jacob Gotta Rusk. Gotta love it. <laughs> or, yeah, your article, our discussion, the YouTube, it, it was everywhere. Hell it yeah. was everywhere. So uh, I think you might have swayed some people with that discussion, maybe a little bit. But uh, looking at this list, I don't think there's anyone in particular that's actually on the trade block, block right now. I mean, yeah. Jason Zucker has found actually a pretty good spot alongside Jeff Carter. They have some pretty good chemistry working. And now, although the, the results aren't quite there for Zucker, he's playing better. He's playing much better. You see him a little bit more under control, whereas, you know, getting some opportunities, he just needs to finish. Um, you look at Kapanen, that's a question mark. Will he turn it around? He played, obviously scored a goal on Friday, played okay on Saturday. We'll see how that goes with an extended period of time with Crosby's wing. Uh, Marcus Pedersen has played phenomenally this season. I don't need to even go into that any deeper. Him and John Marino have been exactly what you wanted them to be last season, exactly what they were two seasons ago, and exactly what you need them to be now. And Casey DeSmith, who's going to trade for him? I mean, he's played better, but who realistically, when there's goalies on the market, like you could see possibly Marc-Andre Fleury be traded. You could see <laughs> Anton Hudobin be traded. Who's looking for a Casey DeSmith right now? I, I've floated Buffalo before. 
Does Buffalo even care, though? Do they want to trade? Like, what comes back realistically in a Casey to Smith trade that makes it worth it for Buffalo, who is rebuilding, and worth it for the Penguins, who are going for it? It's, well, I mean, I just figure when both of their goalies on cap friendly, at least, are listed as emergency loans. Yeah. Woo. I mean, it's Aaron Dell and uh, Uko Pekka, Lukanen. <laughs> I mean, granted, those are NHL guys. Yeah. But they're just listed as emergency loans right now because Tokarski is all of a sudden NHL non-roster. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell's going on with Buffalo's goalie situation. This is the first time seeing it in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but Craig Anderson and both and Malcolm Subban, who they just got, who they just got. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's actually hurt or this is just being a or if Cat Friendly's being weird, is on IR. Yeah. So again, I'll float Buffalo out because damn it, they could use a goalie at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, it's 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 something where I don't think Ron Hextall, like, we haven't heard anything, but we're never going to hear anything from Hextall. Luckily, we good. are going to have full transparency with the Vancouver Canucks because they have Jim Rutherford at the helm now. <laughs> so we will know what moves they're going to make three months ahead of time. But, uh, no, with the Penguins, you're not going to know. One day you're going to wake up and there's going to be a trade. That's the way Hextall kind of works. If there is a rumor, it, it's going to be probably right before, if not the week of any type of move. Oh, man. And we're... And all these, all this talk about trying to make a trade with Rutherford before, you know, he signs someone to be the long-term GM there. Because apparently he's only interim. Yeah, he's only the interim GM because they gave him the opportunity to pick his own guy. Which as president is, of Hockey Ops. Which is a very good move. Well, it's smart. It's stupid to be like, yeah, um, we're going to hire the GM. You're the president now. That's the GM we picked two seconds ago. You're stuck with him. It's like, no. If you're going to hand the reins off the GM, Jim Rutherford, which is now president of Hockey Operations and interim GM. Jim Rutherford up there in Vancouver, you're going to be like, yeah, you can pick your guy. And luckily, it seems like they have the right guy behind the bench. I mean, Bruce Boudreaux, first Canucks coach in history to be 4-0. That just tells me how bad the Canucks have been historically. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wait, Tanner Pierce has a no-trade clause? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You're you're, you're probably looking at the the cap friendly for the Canucks. I mean, the two names that are obviously always, you know, everybody's talking about JT Miller. He might go somewhere. Everybody's talking about Brock Besser, possibly to the Penguins. That's another, you know, that's another discussion to be had. But I don't know. I don't know how the Penguins afford him. Hell I mean, no, we can't. That's let's like that's Jason Zucker, a top prospect. Like that might be Jason Zucker, Nathan Legere, and a third round pick. You want to take full advantage of Jim Rutherford in Vancouver? Buy one of his first round picks. You want to <laughs> Jason take full Zucker advantage? for a first? Don't look Wouldn't at be players. the first time that he gave a first-round pick for Jason Zucker. Exactly. Don't look <laughs> at players. They have a, they don't have many draft picks, but they have a 2022 first-round pick, and they <laughs> suck right now. I mean, granted, four in a row. Four in a row. But they're bad. Uh, they're good on paper, and they're starting to play to their potential. I don't know. If they start winning games, it could be similar to like Nashville last year where everybody was like, oh, Nashville, sell, 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 sell. And then all of a sudden they started winning, and everybody was like, yeah, Nashville's not selling anything. I don't know, man. I just, you call, you, not even Hextall, Burke, hey, I'm the one that said you should have this job in Vancouver. Because I got you this job, I'm going to give you a Jason Zucker. You're going to figure out the cap situation. You always do. And I'm going to take your first round pick for it. You know, I know Jim's old, <laughs> but he's not that naive. No, he's not. He's you not that sure hope not. I'm sure he's probably still a shark in the negotiating waters. So, uh. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see how this plays out for the Pittsburgh Penguins of those names. Again, I don't know if there's anybody that's going to get traded at this point. Yeah, the Penguins also don't need to make a trade right now. They don't. That's the thing. They might the, trade deadline. This is literally a team that's like maybe at the trade deadline you look at it and you say, what is going to help them go over the edge? Like what is their Marion Hosa of this year? What is their uh, – who, who was even the, the guy in 2016 and 17? Was there even a huge – There was a Trevor Daly trade. There the was Trevor Daly. Um, the Justin Schultz trade, but that paid off the next season. Yeah, so that it's similar to those situations where it's like, yeah, you might have a guy that we need, but you don't need him right now. So that's going to do it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. Ending basically at exactly an hour mark. So we hope everybody enjoyed this jam-packed episode Thursday. Make sure you tune in because good friend of the show, Brian Metzer, 
will be joining us to talk Pittsburgh Penguins hockey, so we hope you enjoy that interview. We'll be back there with all our reactions of Pens versus Habs, and we'll be talking about Pens versus Sabres that's coming up later in the week. But that is it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a good week, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.